Like many, I first encountered Joseph Ratzinger through his writings. Introduction to Christianity, his most read book, riveted me as a young man when I first read it. Born out of a course that he offered to students and structured as a commentary on the Apostles' Creed, it was a text of extraordinary success, translated into over 26 languages. Apparently, his classes at the university where, his where he was professor were standing room only. Those of us who've had to teach university students would be envious of such popularity. In the parish where I worked, in courses of catechesis, in accompanying students and seminarians in their discernment, or in personal reflection, this text has become for me a sure guide in being able to drink deeply of the source of all Christian faith, which is rooted in an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. As Ratzinger himself would put it, faith is to find a you who sustains me, and in the incompleteness of every human encounter, offices the promise of indestructible love that not only aspires to eternity, but brings it to us. Many years later, when I met Pope Benedict at the Vatican, I thanked him for this remarkable text. He was extremely humble, of course, and much more interested to know how I had come to study theology at Oxford and of our common interest in a 20th century theologian, Hans Urs von Balthasar. He was delighted to know that Archbishop Rowan Williams who was my tutor at that time, also esteemed this Catholic theologian. The shepherds rejoiced, glorifying and praising God for what they had seen. These words of the gospel that we've just heard indicate the center and personality of the life of our dear Pope Benedict. A shepherd who always rejoiced, glorified, and praised God for his own encounter with Jesus. One who, like Mary, continually pondered on the Word in order to grow deeply in love with that Word who'd become flesh and whom he encountered in the Scriptures, in the Church's liturgy, and in the service of the poor. Joseph Ratzinger was born early on Holy Saturday morning in 1927, and on that very morning he was baptized with the newly blessed water of Easter night, which was at that time celebrated in the early morning. He was always grateful for this act of providence in his life, 
that his life began by being immersed in the Paschal mystery and how poignant it has been for us to hear in these last days that his final words were, Lord, I love you. In many ways, he was wounded by the beauty of a love of Jesus from his earliest youth. This wound of beauty accompanied him throughout his life to his very last breath. He was not satisfied with any beauty, what what he might call a banal beauty. He was looking rather for the beauty which is God himself, infinite beauty, and thus he found Christ. In Christ, true beauty, the path of life, the true joy. Already as a young man and as a newly ordained priest, he had a strong intuition of the centrality of Christ. Only Christ gives meaning to the whole of human life. Joseph Ratzinger always kept the eyes of his heart and of his intellect fixed on Jesus. In this way, he understood that Christianity is not an intellectual system, a package of dogmas to be obeyed, or a moral code. At its heart, Christianity is rather an encounter, a love story, an event with a person which gives orientation and direction in life ever after. This love affair with Jesus Christ, this love story, which was the whole of his life, was, however, far from any superficial enthusiasm or vague romanticism. Really seeing Christ, he knew that in order to encounter Christ, it meant one had to follow him. This encounter is a road, a journey, that passes also, as we know through the Psalms that we've sung tonight, through our sins, our struggles, dark days, and ultimately the snares of death. Joseph Ratzinger really did not want to live his life for himself. This was clearly seen from the moment of his priestly ordination. Although he was strongly attracted to a theological research and to teaching, it was the priesthood itself which remained for him a primary dimension of his vocation. He lived it with joy, with gratitude, but also with a great sense of responsibility, uniting in a vital synthesis the prayer of the church, her liturgy, the ministry of the word, and pastoral care exercised with a supreme sensitivity to the culture. It is therefore quite wrong to consider his personality as that of a cold or abstract intellectual. 
At his very heart was pastoral sensitivity and this vibrated in the depths of his heart in whatever he did. It was true whether he worked as a university professor or as Archbishop in Munich or as Cardinal Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith or as Pope or indeed in the quiet hidden years in the Vatican. He practiced what he experienced in the Gospels. He didn't want to be served but to serve. He was a faithful and humble servant of the Gospel. He gave out all the wealth of his heart and intellect and serving in this way he has left us rich fruit especially in the corpus of his writings, homilies, audiences, as well as his tender attention to each person whom he met. It's true he had a fearless and unfailing faith, but at its heart this was because he believed the encounter with Christ remain central, for only in this way can we give God priority. From the primacy of God in human life, he would also teach, and I quote, it follows as a logical consequence that we must have at heart the unity of all believers. This is why the effort for the common witness of the faith of Christians is included. And added to this, the need for all who believe in God to seek peace together, to attempt to draw closer to one another, to go toward the source of light together. This going together toward the source of light is the basis for all interreligious dialogue. Benedict XVI's unwavering ecumenical commitment was expressed on many occasions, among which his meetings during his travels remain particularly memorable. In Istanbul, with Patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople, in London with Archbishop Rowan Williams, as well as, of course, through Archbishop Rowan's regular visits to see him in Rome, and in Erfurt with Lutherans in Martin Luther's famous monastery. It was there, in Erfurt, that Benedict evoked with striking force Luther's great question, how can I have a merciful God? He asked this question in order to challenge ecumenical dialogue, to seek union by going, or should it, I say, by returning to the root of faith and not staying on the surface. It must, of course, be recognized that in the dialogue with other religions, 
There was no shortage of difficult moments during his pontificate. With the Jewish people, especially on the occasion of the Williamson case. With Islam, especially on the occasion of the Regensburg speech. However, Ratzinger's lifelong dedication to dialogue with Judaism and his attitude of respect for and appreciation of Islam, of Hinduism, and of other faiths, consistent with the Second Vatican Council's teaching, made it possible to overcome misunderstandings and difficulties. By the end of his pontificate, Benedict XVI had visited several synagogues, several mosques, and there were regular encounters with other religious leaders too. Again, I want to say tonight how grateful I am that we are, the Catholic community here in Cardiff, that we are joined by a number of ecumenical and interfaith guests with us. Thank you again for your presence and your prayer among us. Alongside this engagement was the manner in which Pope Benedict sought to reach out to all people of goodwill. This reflects an important part of Catholic tradition, which upholds the value of human reason, consistent with a vision of God who is love and who is at the same time logos, the word. The theologian and Pope taught that on this basis, meeting points and common ground can be sought with all people, even if they do not have faith. He insisted on the theme of searching for truth with the full force of our human reason, and for this he repeatedly spoke against relativism and its dictatorship in our present time. At Westminster Hall, during his great visit to the UK, when he won so many over through his gentle, courteous, and prayerful presence, Pope Benedict insisted that religious faith should not be excluded from the public space and relegated to the private sphere. Its contribution to ethics and pluralism is not to be seen as the cause of difficulties, but as a necessary part of building a free and democratic society. Faith is not so much a problem to be solved as a gift to be shared. The idea of an open or enlarged reason which is capable of seeking the truth was something which was a constant feature of his thought and speeches. This exercise of reason doesn't allow itself to be enclosed with the, the limits imposed by a purely empirical vision of the sciences or by an exclusively mathematical language. 
It is capable of a broader reflection on the human person, on philosophy and morality, on the meaning of life and death, on questions about transcendence, and reflection finally on God. In exercising reason in this way, the human person is not closed in on themselves, running the risk of only seeing and responding to what is functional. Closed reason, he would say, resembles windowless concrete buildings in which we give ourselves the climate and light by ourselves. Eventually, the human will be suffocated. The relationship with nature will be guided by the power dynamics of technology alone, and this will become destructive. But this wasn't just an intellectual idea. He knew it firsthand in the experience of his 14-year-old cousin living with Down syndrome, sent to an extermination camp at the age of 14 in 1941, when Benedict Joseph Ratzinger was the same age. In contrast to this worldview, Pope Benedict looked graciously and lovingly on all God had created. He invited us to turn our gaze to Christ, as he did so poignantly when he addressed Welsh Catholics on the occasion of the 2010 visit, where he reminded us of St. David's dying words. Be joyful, keep the faith, and do the little things. Gwenneth epithal bekine. He went on to say, it is the little things that reveal our love for the one who loved us first and that bind people into a community of faith, love, and service. And he went on to say, may St. David's message in all its simplicity and richness continue to resound in Wales today, drawing the hearts of its people to renewed love for Christ and his church. It is in this contract text I want to thank you, First Minister and High Sheriff, and the other civic guests who are present with us. I want to thank you for all that you do for the common good of our peoples here in Wales. In seeking to build a humane, equitable, and just civil society. Now we hope and we pray that our dear Pope Benedict has reached the other world. Like those first shepherds, we pray he is rejoicing in that heavenly vision of angels as he gazes on Jesus in the company of the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, his patron. We pray that he is rejoicing with a joy that no one can take from him. We entrust his soul to the goodness of his Lord 
and ours. In this hour, as we gather tonight, we wish too to pray for the Holy Father, Pope Francis. May the Lord accompany him and give him strength and health. And let us pray that the Lord give us his light too, to build the world which is a humane world for all, to have the faith that makes us find the path of life, of true light and of happiness. Amen.